a pound of ink would last you a long time, maybe forever, at least a year. You got these little ointment jars, they were called, in a drugstore. They were little white jars, about an inch, inch and a half high, an inch and a half in circumference, with a little black plastic cap. And you put a little of your powdered color into the jar, squirt a little alcohol or Listerine. We found Listerine didn't evaporate as fast as the alcohol, and your color would stay moist and creamy for a long time. So you'd spray a little, little of that in, then each tattoo up had their own secret little formula. One would say put a little camphor in it, all types of little secrets that Gator didn't work. Anyway, that's, that's how you mixed your color. You took an old toothpick or an old needle bar and mixed it around till it became creamy and smooth. The jar would be full. And you'd work all day and the jar would get, say, half empty. You'd just sprinkle a little powder in it. You didn't even need the powder sometimes. Just put a little Listerine in there, stir it, stir it, stir it, and it would all fluff up and the jar would be full again. And you never changed that ink. It was expensive stuff. I'm going to take a few minutes here now to explain what a tattoo shop looked like years ago. They were usually very small places. Maybe they had 20 sheets of designs on the wall. That was a lot of sheets of designs. You had these little ointment bottles of ink, like I said and half a dozen tattoo machines on the counter. You had a porcelain bucket, maybe stood eight inches high, five inches in circumference, that you had water in it. You put a little Lysol in it, Lysol killed germs, and a sponge, and you would wipe down the arm with that sponge, which really felt cool while you were getting tattooed. And you'd rinse your machine out in this bucket, and you never change the water there till, I don't know, sometimes days. Most of the tattoo shops didn't have running water. You'd bring in a, a, a bottle of water that you got from home. There was no sanitation. There was no health department. The age to be tattooed in New York was 16. We all hung up signs saying 18 to give us that little leeway, but you could tell more or less. Only tough guys got tattooed. If the kid was a tough guy, you could tell him. You could take a chance and tattoo him. You didn't even bother asking him how old he was. But the baby-fied guys you worry about, maybe you tattooed one of them and their, their father or their uncle would be mad. You didn't worry about getting sued. You worried about a, an uncle coming back and punching you in the head. And that's what a tattoo shop looked like. The smell of Listerine was in the tattoo shop. As soon as you stuck your head in there, you knew you were in the tattoo shop. The needles, you never changed. In early spring, you would sit down. Blackie and Max showed me how to make, make my needles. You'd make a half a dozen liners and a dozen shaders. And they would last you till next spring. Finally, when the needle got so bad and so so broken up and so it was taking chunks of skin out of you when you're running across an arm, 
When it got that bad, you would change the needle. Otherwise, there was no reason to change the needle. There was a bowl of cherries. When you went to the store, you swept the floor, you thumbtacked your design sheets to the wall, you set up your little table, couple of chairs, and you were open. Things were simple. Tattoos were, and the reason they were 50 cents and up is to compete with Charlie Wagner down on the Bowery. That man kept the prices low. Everybody wanted to get more. I'll, I'll talk about that a little later in my book. Now, back to, back to Coney Island. When I wasn't working the weekends with Blackie, I would go down there during the week just to stand behind Blackie and watch his every move. I wanted to learn as much as I could. But Blackie was a good tattooer. Fast, straight lines. He, he put a little more detail into his tattooing than most of the guys around New York. And I met an array of characters there. Brooklyn Blackie's brother, Billy, who Blackie said actually got started tattooing before, before Blackie. He would come and sit in every once in a while. I'd have nice conversations with Billy. Billy once asked me, did you ever tattoo anybody's stomach? I said, no, I haven't. <laughs> Billy said, Billy said, when you tattoo a stomach, it's like trying to write on a bowl of jello. <clears throat> he said, the way he does it, he took a wooden spoon, stuck it into the guy's stomach, and twisted it to pull the skin tight so that you had a smooth surface to, to draw on. He was a character, too. And Blackie had, had an older brother, Augie, who used to come and sit in the doorway when Paulie wasn't around. And he also had two younger brothers, twins. They called themselves, they used their last name, Greco, or they called themselves the Greco Brothers. And Blackie had a place down, down by the Brooklyn Navy Yard where the twins were working down there learning the tattoo. And Blackie would talk about a man named Jack Redcloud. He said he was very helpful with getting him started. He used to have a place down by the Navy Yard. And one day they tore down the building and Jack Redcloud packed up his stuff and just disappeared. Blackie said he sure would like to see Red Cloud again. Blackie also had a man working down in his, in his Navy Yard shop called Jack Dracula. He took me down there to meet him one day. Dracula was a big man, six foot four, nice curly hair, good looking man. Later in life he tattoos his face, which I'll get to a little deeper into my stories. One day while watching Blackie tattoo, in, into the door walks Max Phelps. Max says, hiya Blackie, I'm back. Max just got back from California. He said, wish me luck. I'm going down to paint my plate. Maxie had on a nice brown suit. He said to Blackie, look at my nice new suit. Blackie said, that's great. And, and Max went down to paint his shop. 
And then I remembered Jesus. I said, Blackie, I signed a paper with Max that I would work for him for five years, I think. Blackie said, don't worry about it. I'll talk to him. I'll straighten it out. A little while later, Blackie said, come on, we're going down to see how Max is doing. We got down there. Max was sitting in his little tiny tattoo shop. The place smelled like paint. You could see it was a brand new paint job. Max had spots of white paint all over his nice brown suit. Blackie said, look what you did to your suit, Max. And reached over and punched Max in the arm. You could hear that punch bow. These were like two bulls. These were big guys. Max stood up, punched Blackie in the chest, and they stood there punching each other for five minutes. How you doing? Good to see you. Blackie said, this kid is going to work for me. He said, I'm going to send my kid brother, Jamesy, down here to work with you. You'll be happy with Jamesy. He knows the business pretty good. He's reliable. He'll be here with you day and night. You'll be much happier with him than this kid. The kid is working with me, and off we went back to Blackie's tattoo shop. In my hanging around with these characters from, from Coney Island, I'd hear them always talking about a man named Bill Jones, who built tattoo machines. I kept my eyes and ears open, hoping to find out where I could find this Bill Jones. Then one day, Tony the Pirate said to Max, Hey, Max, I'm going up to see Jonesy. Do you want anything? And I said, How are you going, how are you going to get there, you? He said, I'm going to take the bus. I said, Well, I got a car. If you want, I'll drive you. So the pirate said, Yeah, sure. So the next day I met him. I said, where are we heading? He says, Connecticut. And, and just like that, he said, I said, whereabouts in Connecticut? He said, 415 Trumbull Street, Hartford, Connecticut. The, the numbers and the words were embedded into my head. I knew that address from today. I still remember that address. We drove up there to meet Bill Jones, nice old man. He was working in the back of a tattoo shop called Nick Baccaro's Tattooing in Hartford, Connecticut. Jonesy was a nice old man, and he was back there with a file, hand-filing a tattoo machine, a brass tattoo machine, and then he'd look at it, and he'd throw it into a barrel, and he'd pick up another one and start filing. I said, what do you do with this barrel? He said, oh, they're crooked ones. I sell them. I sell them. To Milton Zeiss. Now, Milton Zeiss was a tattoo artist in Chicago, right outside of Chicago. And he had an ad in the magazines selling tattoo equipment. He had an ad in two magazines, Tattoo Science and Popular Mechanics. And he sold the tattoo machines for $25. Bill Jones sold them three for $10. Wow, that was cheap. So in meeting Bill Jones, I bought myself a hundred dollars worth of tattoo machines. And I said, I need some strings. Do you have any strings? And he reached in a barrel, took a handful of strings, and threw it in my little shopping bag. I said, shh, don't tell Nick. I said, thank you very much. I said, I also would like to get a power supply. He said, I'll build you one. And he said, 
Where do you want me to mail it to? I said, I'll come back. Here's my phone number. Give me a call. I'll come back. I want to get more tattoo machines. And ever since meeting Bill Jones, every spring and every fall, I would send him, oh, three, five hundred dollars. <coughs> telling him, give me so many tattoo machines. If you wanted a chrome-bladed one, they were really pretty. They were five dollars each. Then I'd tell him to send me a pound of color and some strings, some needle bars. Every spring I would do that and pack these tattoo machines into a trunk, which I'll speak about later. 